First of all, I can uh, sign you any paper you like, any paper you like, that a bottle of wine cannot cost more than 20 euros per bottle to produce. Any bottle of wine, yeah? Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. My guest today does something that I really like, and he's not a travel agent because that's the other thing that I really like. He makes wine, and I met him recently at a conference of, um, it was in, in, in Cyprus, here in Cyprus, in Platris, and I thought I really need to speak to this man because he has studied the perfect combination to be a good winemaker and a good wine seller. He studied marketing, chemistry and winemaking. And I think that's about as good as it can get, Marcos Sambartas. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you. So is your company, is Sambartas Wines your baby or is it in your family? My father founded uh, Zambartas Winery back in 2006. I was there from the beginning. Uh, I left for Australia to study winemaking in Adelaide and came back in 2008 and worked as the winemaker. Excellent. And so Adelaide, you mean the Barossa Valley, I, I would imagine. It is. Uh, Barossa Valley is part of the Adelaide uh, district. That's correct. Yeah, but you so went to the University of Adelaide. Yes, yes, correct. Did you enjoy Australia? Yes, Australia, well, the wine world uh, is, is very doable in general. And uh, it's true that uh, South Australia is quite, uh, it's a, if you are into wine, it's a fun place to be. Uh, to be fair about Adelaide, it was nothing memorable. Uh, or the Australians, most of the Australians that I came uh, across with uh, outside the wine world. I mean, Adelaide is a small city, uh, but uh, all in all, it was a very positive experience. And uh, of course, the wine world of Adelaide, it's, it's, it's very uh, developed, very matured, very advanced. And it was a very uh, enriching experience. There are certain areas in this world, I think, one of them obviously is Australia. And then as far as I know, my personal experience, what, another one is the Napa Valley and then another one would be South Africa. Have you been to all the wine regions in this world? Well, I think no one can visit all the wine regions in the world uh, unless that's uh, his or her job. Uh, but uh I've been, uh, I've traveled extensively in Australia around the wine regions. Uh, and since I came back uh, to Europe, uh, I did, uh, I, I'm trying to visit uh, different wine regions. It's much less homogeneous, of course, than it would be in Australia. But uh, with a young family and running your own business, uh, traveling to uh, taste different wines uh, around uh, Europe is not, uh, necessarily uh it, it's quite demanding when it comes to time i've been to chile before with uh, my father and uh yeah I'm, I'm planning to visit more areas in the future amazing yes you have two small children and i can understand because i'm talking from my point of view i am old and i have been everywhere but when you are my age you will probably have been to more places than i have 
Chile is an interesting wine region. And uh, to be honest, I um, I traveled to Argentina in March 2020, the day COVID was declared a pandemic. And I actually ended up, I had to leave after three days, but I was planning to go to first to uh, Buenos Aires and then to Mendoza and drive around the Argentinian wine regions, which didn't happen because I had to fly home and then quarantine here in Cyprus. So that's Argentina, Argentina owes me. I will actually go back. Which wines are, I mean, that is a, not, a, not, not a good question. Which wines are the best? How do you differentiate wines? First, I like to have in mind the price of the wine I'm drinking. Um, for me, an honest wine, when it comes to its pricing, it's a very important factor. So, and then it has to be a wine that it speaks of its place. If I am, uh, so what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that if it's a wine made in uh, region X, but it could be made because of the style it could be made anywhere else in the world it's not an interesting wine so i'm looking to taste different uh, flavors uh it's very interesting to know the story of the wine just being giving a glass of wine blind it's it's much less enjoyable than if you know the story and um so i do differentiate the wine with price how does it taste if it's anything different? Uh, when I say different, it has to be also good. I mean, there are wines nowadays that uh, they have off flavors, but they are considered as uh, low intervention wines or natural wines, which it, all of this is good, but the wine has to be faultless. Otherwise, cannot be too much. Uh, it could be not too enjoyable, really. So, yeah, price, character. And uh, the story. Uh -huh. And talking about story, I just note made a note story. There are different places in the world that claim to have the oldest winemaking in the world. I know that one of them is Armenia, but I also know that one of them is Cyprus. And uh, our oldest wine is Gomandaria. What is the story of Gomandaria? Now, to uh, set the record straight, for the moment, Georgia is the one that... Or Georgia, is, yeah. Yeah, Georgia could boast as the oldest wine region of the world uh, based on current science and current knowledge. For Cyprus, Kumandaria, yes, it is a very old wine and the way that was made, it probably stayed without too much change for uh, many centuries or millennials. But, okay, I'm... You know, I'm I'm not too quick to say the oldest wine of uh, Europe is Comandaria, or I'm not too quick to to to. It sounds like too bold of a statement, but yes, it is a wine of the uh, medieval times. That is for sure. Yeah, that's science. That those are facts. Uh, if it's the oldest or not, I don't know. But Comandaria, the way it's made, which is um, stand drying uh, traditional. Grapes of Cyprus, Xinisteri, which is white, and Mavro, which is red. It's a very uh, old method and well documented. You know this this method of making sweet wine is uh, it, it's it's really a very uh, very old 
way method of making wine? I know because I mean, have, I came to Cyprus because of the tourism industry, and I remember, you know, going on the tours and then going to Colossi Castle, and and that's that's what the tour guides used to say, you know, because because it was the who was it now? I'm trying to think. Colossi Castle, the the that's uh, That's right. Oh. Yes, yes. So that goes back a long time. And the reason why we're talking about this is because we have people listening to this podcast in 121 countries. So not everybody knows at the moment what we're talking about. Colossi Castle is a castle here in Cyprus. And everybody should come to Cyprus and visit it and try some Bartas vines. It's, um, yes, I mean, the, the name Kumandaria derives from the uh, uh, from the uh, the word command. Yes, uh, la grande commanderie. So it was the really from the uh, Knights Templar when it was the this Colossi Castle was uh, uh, the headquarters of the um, of those uh, of those knights back then. So um, that order, I should say. Um, so and they used to sweeten the wine as well, which was a bit different. What is happening now uh, with uh, sugar canes? Yeah, there was uh, plantations around there. The Production of Kumandaria started there, supposedly, and became Kumandaria because before it was called Nama. Uh, this uh, sweet wine made in Cyprus was uh, called Nama, which, uh, if you want to believe in myths, it is just the opposite of Mana, which means mother. Yeah. Ah, very interesting. You see, now I learned something because I always thought that I know everything when it comes to Cyprus history, but you are excellent. Very interesting. Now let's go back a little bit. When I came to Cyprus, I came to Cyprus the first time to work in 1982. And at that time, we had more or less two wines. One was Othello and the other one was Aphrodite. Okay, there were a few more, but we have come a long way since the beginning of the 80s, haven't we? I mean, we, there are so many beautiful little wineries here. Lots of uh, areas have been developed. What do you think made people, um, because not every country that has the opportunity to produce wine does, but here in Cyprus, we have a lot of wine production and a lot of good wine production. Do you know why it was um, it was developed like this? Well, the now we need to go back in the twenties, nineteen twenties, when uh, the Cypriot wine industry was started to be industrialized. Yeah, uh, before that it was small producers in villages, but uh, in the twenties uh, there was the um, the construction of four very big wineries. Um, well, twenties was the first one that uh, started Kio, uh, and also Etco grew up uh, to be quite a big winery, and then Sodap and Loyal also got established. So these four for eighty years they produced uh, wine in a mass-produced um, uh, way. Let's say where the main mission was to uh, turn grapes into wine and export it. Now, that was the necessity back then. It was a model that worked. Mind you that Cyprus back then was producing more grapes per head 
of uh, per capita, per head per population, than any other country in the world. There was a lot of grapes for a small island. There had to be done something, and that was the government was subsidizing this um, uh, industrial units or big wineries, I should say. Uh, and there were a lot of exports. Also, exports were subsidized. So the model was working for 80 years. So we are reaching the late 80s and 90s, where the small wineries started appearing because the subsidies were, had to stop because, first of all, it's taxpayers' money. You cannot just pay taxpayers' money to uh, export wine. It doesn't work like that in a contemporary economy. Uh, and also, the subsidies had to stop because of the political decision to enter the European Union. This mass production of wine uh, was not sustainable anymore. There are other reasons also. The main product of uh, Cypriot wine industry back in those days was sherry. Uh, now, sherry, it's an older type of white wine, yeah, and uh, mainly white, which fell out of favor from the consumer. And at the same time, the Spanish claimed the word sherry, which is Spanish to be in all fairness. So those markets were gone for the Cypriot wine industry. And new, more modern styles of wine had to appear. So there was a new need. There was a lot of money being uh, put in from the European Union for these smaller wineries to uh, be able to, to get help for investments, for smaller tanks, for machinery, for the building of the winery and everything. So for the past 40 years, there's been a lot of EU structural funds coming in the wine industry in Cyprus. And here we are today with very good examples of wines and quite modern wineries. So the, the industry was transformed in 30 years. Very interesting. But you, if you say in those years before the 80s, where did, where did all this export go? Where did all the, the, the Cyprus wines, wines uh, where, where were they exported to? Uh, mainly in Europe. Also to Russia, Soviet Union back then, of course. Uh, so uh, a lot of them we are uh, exported uh, uh, to these countries. Very, very interesting. I can see one of your children, and I yeah. think she yeah. should say something. Do you do you like the fact that your daddy makes wine? Mama, <laughs> Mama likes the wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Emilia is a bit shy. One of my memories when it comes to grapes and wine, when I came here many, many years ago, was when I had to go to Puffles or I had to go to different places to work, to the hotels. We had no highways at the time. And I used to be stuck behind a truck full of grapes and the grape juice was like running out of that truck. And that's how the grapes were transported. And there used to be street signs saying slippery road because of grape juice. 
That doesn't happen anymore, does it? In today's world, we have to, what do we have? Smaller wineries, so it doesn't need to be transported anymore, or do we have better transportation? It's better transportation. There's still wine being transported uh, uh, from one district to another, but it happens mainly in uh, crates. So these are boxes, plastic boxes that contain anything from 15 to 18 kilos of grapes. So there's no squashing because what you have described, it was when grapes were, uh, were put in uh, big trucks, at the back of big trucks, uh, and the bottom ones were squashed by the top grapes from the weight. And that's why the grape juice was released. Nowadays, there is no mechanical stress uh, of grapes. They've been transported in these uh, boxes. And uh, also, uh, they have been transported a few hours after they've been harvested. This is also important. So they don't stay somewhere in and start, uh, you know, it's true starts coming out yet. So that doesn't happen anymore. It's also, I don't think it would be allowed anymore to have that uh, on the, on today's roads with the highways that we have now. But yes. Um, another thing, let's talk a little bit about Sambatas wineries. So you said your father started it. When your father started it, did you know that you were going to go into business or did, you, did it happen afterwards? No, no, it was a pre, um, it was prearranged that I would join. Uh, my father probably wouldn't start uh, because he invested his pension money, really. Uh, um, so, yeah, we did discuss about it before and it was a conscious decision that we both uh, go forward with it. And do you regret it or do are you happy about it? No, I'm happy about it. I'm, uh, uh, that's a very definite yes. Definitely. So it's a very, very, um, you're a very happy winemaker. Sambartas wineries, your grapes grow in an area called Ayos Ambrosios, which is, how high is Ayos Ambrosios approximately? Ayos Ambrosios is at uh, uh, 575 meters. But uh, most of actually, Agios Ambrosios is in the region of Krasokorgia, which means wine villages. And it's the second uh, oldest region of, uh, of Cyprus for growing grapes. The, the oldest one is actually on the uh, northern slopes of Trodos. So it's uh, between, let's say, Trodos Mountain, the summit of Trodos and Nicosia. That's the oldest, close to the uh, Maheras Monastery. So Agios Ambrosius is in the Krasokhoria region, the wine villages, and our vineyards, there are very few in Agios Ambrosius, but uh, most of them are actually higher up in the Krasokhoria region, in Omodos Mandria, uh, mostly, which is at around 800 to 950 meters above sea level. I would like to add at this point that Cyprus boasts the highest vineyards uh, in Europe. The highest uh, when it comes to altitude. Yes, yes. But the climate helps, doesn't it? Cyprus has a very good wine-growing climate, a lot of sun. Yes, but uh, one has to be careful not to have too much sun. Okay, uh, so too much sun can be damaging then. Yes, that's why we're planting uh, in uh, higher altitude. And also we're looking, we're looking for northern or... And eastern orientation, uh, south and west, 
let's say south has the longest sunshine hours and the west has the strongest sun of the day. I read that you're also exporting quite a lot of wine. What is the relationship with how much wine is, is consumed on the island and how much do you export? Now, the we export 9%, but one has to understand that 40% of the wine that is sold on the island is actually consumed by tourists. Wow. So, it is an indirect export. Let's put it's not consumed by the local population. Yeah. So it goes, but well, we have a high number of tourists every year. And I, I'm sure people take wine home as well. Do you sell at the airport? Yes, we do. Yeah. So that's good to know for somebody who does who knows that who is only here with hand luggage and knows that they cannot take it through uh security, you can buy it after security in the duty-free shop. Correct. This, this was like a free advertising spot, Marcos, for you. <laughs> um, Sambartas Winery, um, I have not visited it. I was planning to visit you and I was planning to do this episode um, that, uh, in person, but now it hasn't happened. You do arrange um, wine tastings. You have different programs from what I remember. What are your programs that you do if somebody wants to come and visit you? Yes, so it depends. We've um, we've thought of different experiences at the winery or programs, as you as you have mentioned, uh, based uh, basically on uh, how much time would a visitor have, or how much dedicated a visitor would be. So, the simplest one would be in half an hour to taste a few wines, uh, pay a small amount of money. Uh, get a feel for the wines, uh, you know, sit down. It's basically for those that they are on the way somewhere and they would like to spend half an hour, 45 minutes at a nice setup with nice wine and uh, learn something about the wine industry of Cyprus. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, we have uh, a canapé and wine matching. So we prepare freshly uh, fresh uh, canapes that they match each uh, each of our wines. So we sat down and we figured out, uh, based on the flavors of wine, what um, uh, how should a canapé uh, taste. And uh, we, we make these canapes from Cypriot authentic uh, products like Samarella, Lunza, Epsima, and uh, we combine it with the uh, relevant wine. I often hear people say that wine doesn't taste the same when it's not in the country. You know, like sometimes people say, oh, you know, you shouldn't take wine abroad. It doesn't taste the same when you drink it there. Why, why is that? Is that true? What do you say about that? I think, first of all, that's a bit of an overstatement. Um, I wouldn't agree necessarily with that. There is the... There is the idea of uh, uh, not storing wine very well. So what happens usually is that you go in a country, you buy a bottle of wine, you leave it somewhere in the house except the wine, uh, the wine fridge, you know. And then after some time, you remember that bottle of wine, uh, but it's not, it's not well stored, so it tastes differently. Plus... 
the fact that you know you're on holidays, there's no stress. There is uh, you're probably having a good time. Uh, you're having a, a, a nice glass of wine or a bottle of wine. You enjoy your time. It's a much different setup if you are in North Europe, minus 10 degrees outside. You know, it, it's a different feeling. You know it's, what I'm talking about. It's connected to an emotion, I think. And uh, and that makes a big, big difference. I so totally agree with you. And I don't think it has anything to do with the the wine, but with how you feel. I mean, if exactly. you know, if you if you're not if you're not feeling well, I would imagine that the, the best wine in the world doesn't taste well. So it's kind of it comes from inside. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now another thing that I that always fascinates me um is all this these expensive wines, you know, the, I mean, the only one that I know is Chateau Petrus. I don't know much else. I mean, that's the, that's the, that, that's the word that I can hit you with. But what is what is the fascination about the bottle of wine that costs, I don't know, 5,000 euros? Um, first of all, I can uh, sign you any paper you like, any paper you like, that a bottle of wine cannot cost more than 20 euros per bottle to produce. Any bottle of wine, yeah? So it's not about the cost of production. It's about the perceived quality. It's about the idea that uh, a wine uh, of that magnitude has, uh, you know, it's, it's a very scarce commodity. It's a statement if you're drinking that wine. It's not very different from art. Or fashion. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't call Diner it a fashion. Packs. I wouldn't call it a fashion, uh, Elizabeth, because if it was a fashion, it would die out by now. No, I mean a, a fashion piece of a, a, like a bag, a handbag. You can buy a handbag uh, for, yes. 20, for twenty euros, and you can buy one for one hundred and twenty thousand euros. That's probably what I, that's what you're saying here. Yes, yes. So at the end of the day, you know, it's. Uh, you know, we are we we do give more emphasis on our dinner stories, you know. And having a Chateau Petrus, I think you have a good dinner story there, you know. Yeah, uh, I had one, so I don't have that dinner story to tell. I had, but I didn't buy it. So <laughs> <laughs> you are in <laughs> Well, next time you get invited to one, I'll come with you. Okay. <laughs> um so most memorable journeys here is kind of a travel podcast, but I talk about people's lives. But let's talk a little bit about you and traveling. Um, where do you travel with your family? Well, uh, because my wife is from the Netherlands and we live in Cyprus, obviously the Netherlands is uh, is somewhere we go often. My wife and the kids go more often than I do. And then we try to combine. So we try to combine wine as well. So if we're going anywhere else than the Netherlands, we tend to go to wine regions in Italy, and it's uh, it's it's or uh, this year we're planning to go to France via Netherlands. Actually, we went to Maastricht uh, in the area where uh, we've tasted. Uh, it was a couple of years ago we've tasted Dutch wine as I well. I was just going to ask: Are there any Dutch wines? Yes, yes, there are in the south, and uh, they're surprisingly good. Especially the white ones. For uh, good red wines, I think they need another fifty years of global warming. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but uh, it will come, I guess. So yeah, I would recommend that. Uh, don't be afraid of uh, a Dutch uh, of a bottle of wine that is made in Holland. You're gonna have a a, a good a positive surprise. That's interesting yeah. to know because I have just recently we have very good friends in Holland in in Eindhoven, and um, I don't remember if I asked, but. Surely there are, there is wine in nearly every country in the world, even though the climate in some of those places is not very good. I mean, not very good. What is good climate anyway? It's not only sun. It's it's a, a combination of many things, isn't it? Yes. I mean, it, 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 you can even have wine in India. Yeah. It's just a matter of, I mean, the, the vine as a plant is very, very robust and adaptive to the climatic conditions. It's not the idea of not having wine in a particular region. It's the idea how good is the wine because of the climate of the region. So you have wine from Thailand, you have wine from Denmark, yeah, you have wine from uh, China, and you have wine very close to Patagonia. So wine is uh, it, it is a plant that is quite versatile. So. Yeah, you can find wine. If you're a winemaker, you can work pretty much in every country of the world. That's fascinating. And I am a wine drinker and I can drink it more or less in every part of the world. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we are coming to the end of this podcast episode. Any last recommendations? Any last wise words about wine? Well, um, I think it's the time where we should be drinking less and better. Uh, Very good. Very good. It's it's um uh, it's it's important for our health and for our uh, you know um, well-being um this is what i do personally as well uh instead of drinking uh, two bottles of wine uh, that they cost let's say uh, 20 euros per bottle i prefer to drink one that is 40 euros uh go after um smaller producers if they're good not every small producer is good try wines that you haven't tasted before it's uh, it's about discovering it's about learning if you have the opportunity to look up the winery uh when you're drinking their wine it will multiply the satisfaction i believe excellent those are perfect last words we are going to put the website of Sambatas Wines in the show notes. So for the people who are listening to us, if you want to have a look who I spoke to, and also if you want to visit us here in Cyprus, you should definitely look up Sambatas Wineries in Ayas Ambrosios. Thank you very much for being on Most Memorable Journeys today, Marcos Sambatas. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for the opportunity. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.